Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Hey, Sarah. Just a little something I wanted us to pop out to our listeners, because in case they didn't see it, I was casually sitting reading the New York Times a little bit ago after Mm. another shooting, what a surprise, in the United States. And I see a little op-ed piece in the New York Times by Stephen King. Do you know who Stephen King is? He's the bringer of all my nightmares. That's exactly right. And he's very good at it, right? (laughs) Stephen King, the author, he is so well known for so many terrifying uh, books and movies. So Stephen King, he is a resident of Maine, which is the farthest northeastern state in the United States. And he pops out uh, an op-ed piece, a little op-ed piece. And I'm going to read you a little bit about I'm going to tell you what happened. Story time with Stephen King. Well, that sounds very ominous, and I'm already packing myself a little bit because I hate, hate horrors. Yeah, exactly. Here's what he says. There is no solution to the gun problem and little more to write because Americans are addicted to firearms. So this, of course. Strong start. Makes me, yes, jumps right out of my care. But I will (laughs) say, as a writer, as a fellow writer, like Stephen King, it's a good strong start, right? And that's what agreed. Have. I mean, it's a grabber, right? And so he talks about laws and guns. This is in response to the Lewiston, Maine shooting where 18 people were killed. And it's a te- terrible situation, which I w- we want to talk about. But mm. the, his comment is every mass shooting is a gut punch. Unimaginative people say, I never thought it could happen here. But such things can and will happen everywhere and anywhere in this locked and loaded country. The guns are available and the targets are soft. When rapid fire guns are difficult to get, things improve. But I see no such improvement in the future. Americans love guns and appear willing to pay the price in blood. Wow. Pretty good statement. It is. Yeah. So it's true. We are willing to do that. But. I really went back to the first thing that he said in his little op-ed piece, which was, there is little more left to write. There is no solution to the gun problem. And I disagree with that completely. And so I promptly sat down at my computer, <laughs> typed up some response to, to uh, Stephen King, New York Times. And they called me that afternoon. They're like, we're going to run this tomorrow, okay? I was like, okay. <laughs> Also, on that, his line is what? There is no solution to end the mass shooting. If that was the case, you'd just have a cover with no pages in it in your first book, Stop the Kettling, How to End the Mass Shooting Crisis. You've written a whole book on it, my friend. A whole book. Exactly. And even the idea of there's no solution to the gun problem. 
gun problem. That's what he calls it. Yeah. I've written two books about the gun problem, and I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. And there's little left to write. There's probably a lot left to write. Here's what I said back to him. So I'm just going to read it. If that's Buckle okay. up, King. King. Really, though, I mean, I feel his frustration. I really do. And, um, and I'm kind of humbled that they would, you know, I mean, Stephen King is, you know. Stephen he, King. He's Stephen King, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make enough money back from what I already paid to print my books, right? I mean, so I'm kind of in little different markets, but still. <laughs> But on the other hand, I am, you know, I recognize the imposter syndrome, right? I recognize that I'm one of the world's experts in this area and I need to own up to that and own it. So I did feel a need to respond. So I responded in this way. Mr. King's frustration with gun violence and its feelings of helplessness for our country are not unique, but they are born more from exhaustion than reality. Mm -hmm. I reject his view that there is no solution to the gun problem. We may be addicted to firearms, which he says, but Americans have overcome addiction before with the same grit and persistence that helped us end slavery and bend our collective views away from racism. Cultural change takes generations. Mm -hmm. The gun culture we mistakenly fell in love with was bolstered by decades of green plastic army men and Nerf and cap guns handed to preschoolers for play. Classroom history lessons centered around military battles and movies and television hailing the best gun handler as the hero. That was my reality, and I passed that culture to my children. This gun problem, that's in quotes, is just that, a problem to be solved. Just as we created that problem, we can change it. Every shooting reminds us collectively that firearms violence has become the number one killer of children and teens under the age of 19 according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Shooting drills are an ubiquitous part of the lives of most of our school children. Mr. King may find, quote, little more to write right now, and that's okay. The fresh legs off the bench are many, and they are moving with optimism, impatience, and persistence to find the right courses of action that will make America's gun violence problem no longer exist. I'm sure of that. I love that. Fresh legs off the bench. Sometimes you just need to substitute people in. Because mm. he's not wrong about it being exhausting. And, and I will say, and it's okay that Mr. King and others need some bench time. Substituting in are the parents afraid to send their kids to school, energized politicians, influencers, researchers, and business owners looking over their shoulders for a catastrophic event. I am surrounded by them and their contagious attitudes. I love that you've got that still that grit and determination after doing this for so long to be honest you shouldn't have fresh legs off the bench but you're still going i would like to sit down on the bench for a while yeah um you know when i was interviewed by npr's body cornish for her podcast she said when are you going to stop doing this and i said i guess when people stop calling me it was interesting when you talked about the generations to change things you know, what is it going to take for people to realize that they need to get off the bench? But we do live in a world where we have created, It's there's always an adversary. Every mm. movie you watch, there's bad guys and good guys. And that's not just in the States. It's worldwide, right? Every movie has heroines and heroes. 
And oftentimes the hero is the stronger person or the person who's faster with the weapon. And that's not just unique to the United States. We may have exported some of that, right, in our, in our movie industries, in our yeah. television industries. But we didn't invent it. But you know what? I don't think of that as your gun culture. I think of that as just general entertainment TV the way that Hollywood is. What I think of as your gun culture, and perhaps this is an outside perspective or perhaps it's completely wrong, is, is all linked to that right that right to have the arms, which is just something that doesn't compute with other countries. We grew up with the little guns. We grew up with the little toys. We all played that, but we didn't have this, this is going to sound bad, this cult. Obsession. You're trying to say it. You're yeah, but it's the obsession. <laughs> no, not even obsession. It's almost like this cult-like mentality that the gun is the center of everything, that it's the identity. The thing is, that wasn't our identity for years. For years and years and years, it, it's been our identity in the gener- in the last generation. A couple and of I think that's exactly what you said before, is like, it's it, that's exactly what it is. It's part of the identity that's been woven into that fabric. And now you have to kind of unweave it over the next generations. Right. Yeah, I think it's, you know, even though people say, well, that's your whole world. Well, not really. That's our world, you know, since the 70s and the days of yeah. movies and, and the 70s and then the 80s. And then a very strong industry that, you know, builds and exports guns across the world. And then I think a very, you know, in some ways kind of a fooled population, misinformed sometimes about what their rights are so that there's this fear that people are taking their guns away when nobody wants to take anybody's guns away. That fear that somebody's always knocking at the door about to home invade you. Right. It sounds like a really scary place to live. Well, I think we've invented that scary place to live because Mm. we ran out of like reasonable ideas for why we want to sell guns. So now we're going to come up with unreasonable ideas. Yeah. We want to sell guns. And for, for a whole, you know, for a couple, 20, 30 years, we've been building these from a marketing standpoint, convincing people that if they don't have a gun in their hand, I listened to an interview the other day. I'll tell you, I'm a Malcolm Gladwell fan. And, oh, uh, I love him. I know, Malcolm. Can I come on your show and talk about guns? He his new season yeah. is about guns, and I felt bad that I wasn't part of it because I, I feel like I could have helped, or at least that in my book, so that he would have that as a reference point. Yeah, but you know, he was playing some audio from a Supreme Court justices, the the justice uh, who was defending a position in a case that was argued recently, and one of the Supreme Court justices who has never lived in New York City said how dangerous the New York City subways are, because this was a case involving New York, and said, you know, people who get on those the subways are so dangerous. And in the middle of the night, if you're on the subway in the middle of the night at two in the morning, and you want, why wouldn't you want to have your gun? Because it's so dangerous. And she said, and she said, well, from my experience, I'm being in the subway at two o'clock in the morning, because she's from New York. <laughs> she's been on, <laughs> she's been on the subways plenty of times. And she was trying to be respectful, as you need to be in court. I understand as an attorney, I understand you've got to be respectful. You know, you don't want to say that argument does not hold up, sir. But you have to be polite about it. And she was trying to stress to him that if the safest way was to have everybody on the subway have a gun in that little metal tube as you drive underground, how how does that make everybody feel safer if you don't like the way somebody else looks and and the guy across from you pulls a gun on somebody else because he's had a bad day at work or he's tired or he's a little 
off, uh, you know, from an emotional standpoint, uh, mental stability or something. And then you have everybody on the subway train pulling guns out and shooting each other. I'm trying to like think how I can word this. When you're in something, sometimes you don't realize you're in something and it becomes the accepted reality. Um, right. I think it's right. The other day I was in the shopping mall. Oh, you'll be pleased. I rang the emergency number. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that little one. But so there was a tussle between two two females and what looked like, I, I didn't know I was trying to read the situation, but turns out he was a security guy, but I hadn't seen that he was security. But so many bystanders, Catherine, you would have just been like shaking your head. Of course, me being the gobby little shite I am, I'm like, what's going on? Originally, when I rocked up to the situation, they're pulling on a, a shopping bag. I was like slowly computing, computing, computing what's going on. Yeah, does this person need help or is this person in trouble? In trouble. like person causing the trouble? Exactly, exactly. But either way, I was, well, something's going down. So I picked up the phone, I rang 999. And by the time I'd got on the line to them, it had blown up and she had run away. But there was a moment where Gareth and I just both looked at each other and we went, thank God we don't have guns. You know, like that's not a consideration that we have to worry about. When it escalates, it's not on everybody's radar. And you didn't mean, thank God, you, Gareth, and I don't have guns. You meant, oh. thank God, that we <laughs> don't mean, have the volume of guns in the country. Right. So in our mind, the next step in that situation is perhaps a punch is thrown or, at worst, a knife comes out. It's right. not the situation where everybody who's shoplifting has also got a gun, you know? And they really don't here, but it seems like they do. And we are mm-hmm. having more and more youth that have guns. Right. And let me tell you this. People. Let me tell you how this also affected the situation is because of that factor, I knew that I wasn't in as much danger to put myself in a upstander position. But yes. If you then are the upstander in a situation perhaps where there are, you know, weapons flying around. I'll tell you what, I would not be stepping into that situation the same way I did. Yeah. yeah it's a ripple out effect. It, it, it is. And uh, something else that, you know, we've talked about here before, but I think that gun holders don't often, especially somebody who says, oh, my wife is in danger. I, I'm going to buy her a gun. I'm going to give my wife a gun. I know a guy who did that, not just recently. He's like, oh, I'm going to buy my wife a gun because she needs a gun to be safe. And we know all the ramifications of, yeah, maybe she doesn't know how to carry that gun. She hasn't had any training in that gun. Maybe she doesn't want to carry it. She's carrying it because her husband told her to carry it. You know, she's like reaching into her purse for the M&Ms and the Altoids and she's pulling the trigger on a gun, right? So all of that, but also the whole idea that in that scuffle in the shopping mall, you know, just because you can carry a gun, as we've said, doesn't mean you can legally shoot the gun. And in the United States, it's very much that. That's very much true. And people don't think oftentimes about that. So mm. we have a lot of things that that prevent us from having guns be the savior that people think they are. And one of those are laws that say you can't just pull out your gun and shoot somebody. And those are equally important. Yeah. I mean, for all of that kind of layer of, oh, I'm safer because... We have guns in the U.S. I feel a lot safer that I don't on a day-to-day level. And that was just, to me, a a great illustration of that, how how it it does stop people being upstanders. 
Now, I think that's that's probably very accurate. You know, you get into road rage situations now, and 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 I never look at the I never look at another driver. You know, I don't I'm not going to start an argument with another driver because I don't know whether that person is is going to have a gun and pull it out. And how often does it happen? It doesn't, but it, every time it happens, it's in the news, and and it makes people yeah. in the rest of the world think that. The, that we're all living in a crazy place here, which we're not, just in case you want to come to the United States. That is the point, though, isn't it, right? Because even the people that are in the U.S. listening to those news stories when they are in those situations, which might be a completely shopping mall incident like mine, they have to add that into the equation of the actions they right. take. Yep, that's true. Yeah, you do have to add that into the equation. I think that's part of it. And I think that kind of goes to you know, when Stephen King wrote this op-ed piece and said, oh, this is a problem. We're never going to solve it. We can't write anything more about it. You know, I get it that it, he lives in Maine where a terrible shooting just happened. Yeah. I get that he's frustrated and tired. And, and that's okay. It's okay to be frustrated and tired. It's okay to be afraid of guns. But it is a problem uh, that we can solve. We just have to think through it. You know, a lot of times thinking is the job, right? And a problem is only a problem until we think of the solution. And maybe part of that is also, like you say, he's in Maine, it's fresh. This is the first time that he's really ever been confronted with thinking about that as a whole thing. And maybe as he sits and really thinks on it and resonates and starts researching into it, he'll find the hope that perhaps, you know, you you gave me when we first did this podcast, that it's not. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably good. That's a good reflection of where we started. Because I remember, I still remember from that first episode of Stop the Killing, you said, you know, what is it with Americans and guns? Just get rid mm. of the guns. Yeah. And uh, and it's more complicated than that. Because you, you know, you have guns in your country. You, you know, you have guns in New Zealand, guns in Australia. It's not just the guns. Two pizzas. Guns. Exactly. People with trouble. Hey, fellow true crime aficionados. I've stumbled upon the ultimate hidden gem, Dakota Spotlight by James Wollner. It's a revelation. Picture this, thoroughly researched, original, and peppered with real interviews. No sensationalism here, just gripping storytelling with heart. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll always want more. So cozy up and join me on the edge of your seat. Trust me, this podcast is the real deal. Start with the Mandan murders and prepare to be hooked. Let's uncover this treasure together. Listen to Dakota Spotlight. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it? Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements, or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets 
today. Now, listen, also, I want to ask you, did you get lots of feedback from your article? Did What kind of feedback did you get, if any, from your yeah. piece? Oh, my Tell gosh. Me. I was shocked at how much feedback I got. I heard from people across the country who said, I had read that op-ed piece. Thank you so much for your response. Please don't give up. Please don't. You, don't we, we can't give up. And I completely agree with you. We can solve this problem. And that was very encouraging. I love that. Yeah. Do you, do you think very... Stephen King's read it? I don't know. Perhaps since he is a New York Times reader, perhaps, but I don't know. He didn't call me. But Stephen, if you're out there and you want to come on our podcast, you're welcome to. We would ha- be happy to talk to you. Give you a little bit of hope, Stephen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all 
is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me, Murder in-House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. 